0: human, this office worker to someone who's um, one with nature is is one of the most amazing transformations that can happen while you're through hiking.
1: This is the Adventure Sports Podcast, brought to you by 180TAC. Get out there and have some fun. Episode 92, Through Hiking Deep Dive with Liz Thomas. Hello and welcome to the Adventure Sports Podcast. This is your host, Kurt Linville. Today is a through hiking deep dive. Now for those of you who have not heard what a deep dive is, it's when we bring a previous guest back on to go into the details, the tips and the tricks, the how to's of a particular sport and we are really blessed today to have Liz Thomas rejoining us. Liz was originally on the podcast back in episode 41, so if you want to hear the overview of all of the great feats that she's done, you might want to jump back and listen to that episode. But today, we're going to get into the nitty-gritty details of how to thru-hike. So, Liz, thank you very much for joining us today.
0: Well, thank you for having me on, Kurt.
1: Oh, you bet. So, just a little bit of information about you, Liz, and then I'll I'll let you fill in the the gaps. But Liz uh, started thru-hiking a while back, and she is a recipient of the Triple Crown. The Triple Crown is uh, what's given to hikers who have hiked the Appalachian Trail, the Continental Divide Trail, and the Pacific Crest Trail. And she has done all three, not only done all three, but sets uh, women's speed records for the fastest through hikes And so Elizabeth spends a lot of time uh, traveling around and and sharing information about through hiking She's on lots of different trail committees that take care of these trails and and a lot of things like that. Liz, tell us the rest of that story.
0: Uh, Yeah. So I I first started getting into long-distance hiking uh, about 10 years ago, and I was really into day hiking and peak bagging, and I always noticed on these day hikes and peak bags these signs for the Pacific Crest Trail, and I kept thinking, wouldn't it be cool to walk from Mexico to Canada? Uh, I keep seeing this trail over and over again at these high points at these vistas, and uh, it would be so cool to just be out there for that long. Um, And uh, the thing about these long trails is once you start hiking them, you you get kind of which is where I am right now. I have the bug. And uh, one of the things I'm really passionate about is getting people out on the trail, uh, making dreams a reality. Uh, I remember I spent a long time just sitting at a computer or reading people's blogs saying, I, I don't know if I could ever do that. So I am really excited at the idea of being able to talk to an audience and, and get people maybe getting some wheels turning thinking, yeah, I, I could do that.
1: Well, you know, Liz, the it seems like the longer that I do various adventure sports, the more I keep coming back to backpacking is one of my very favorites, and, you know, multi-day trips I've done, but a through hike like that I have not done, and I'm jealous. I really want to do it, but I'm going to just volunteer here. On a lot of my backpacking trips, I get really sore joints. I get sore feet. My pack starts to feel way too heavy. I begin to wonder how do you do a thru-hike where you're putting that many miles on your body and how do you stay healthy while you're doing that?
0: Yeah, de- definitely. I think um, thru-hiking, you have to be prepared for, for, uh, from the very start, knowing that you're going to be pounding on your feet for a while. So um, before I even start a thru-hike, uh, one of the things I think a lot about is how I can get the lightest pack possible. Um, the pack that I carry when I do hiking is usually all of my gear. So that's my sleeping bag, my tent, all my clothes, um, any sort of electronics. Every, all of that stuff is ten pounds or less. Um, from there, I, uh, I, I still have food and water. There's no way around that. Um, but that really helps a lot with the aching and the pounding of the joints. Um,
1: wow! So you said ten pounds or less on your base weight. That is correct. How do you do that? Because, I mean, I have a down sleeping bag and it alone weighs probably close to 3 pounds. Uh, Of course, it's a zero degree bag because I do a lot of winter camping. Uh, I don't even carry a tent anymore. I only use a lightweight tarp to try to save weight. How do you get down to 10 pounds because I'm nowhere close?
0: Well, uh, you know, one of the things is really understanding what season um, you're going to be going out in. So. You know, I do most of my through hiking during the summer, so instead of a zero-degree bag, I'll have a 20 or even a 30-degree bag. So that, that helps cut my sleeping bag down to a pound, two pounds at the most. Um, the pack itself, I try to get uh, under two pounds. My pack's uh, just around one pound. Um, and then the other big thing, of course, is your shelter. That That's going to weigh a lot. And the tarp system, that works great for keeping your weight down.
1: Well, let's talk about your pack for a minute um, my pack is also fairly heavy. That's part of the problem. What kind of pack do you use It's that light? Is it because it's a small pack or because it's just a really high-quality, lightweight pack?
0: Uh, it's a little bit of both. So um, I I tend to, on all of these hikes, use a frameless pack or a very minimally framed pack. Um, and there's quite a few ultralight gear companies out there that have, pounds, have packs right around a pound, a pound and a half. Um, some of them even have have a little bit of a light uh, frame on them, and that that really um, helps keep the weight down. Because if you look at even ten years ago, people used to have seven pound packs, and that's just their pack empty. Um, so that's that's uh, one of the things that tends to weigh quite a bit, and you can cut down you know quite a bit of pounds uh, just from your pack itself.
1: Well, wow. okay, let's talk about food and water then. Um, you can't make water lighter. Dehydrated water is great, but you have to add water. So
0: <laughs>
1: what do you do with that?
0: So the water system is, is a little tricky, uh, especially if you're going through a desert or a dry section. So some of the tricks that I use, when I um, am backpacking and I get to a stream, I will sit there, treat my water, filter my water, um, and drink quite a bit, you know, try to drink at least a liter, maybe two liters, um, even before I leave the water source. So that I leave that, that water source not wanting any more water, um, which means that I can go you know sometimes up to 10 miles without having to drink the stuff in my pack uh, because I already drank everything I needed while I was right next to the, the creek or the spring. Um, another trick is sometimes it sounds kind of silly, but sometimes it's boring drinking water. Water doesn't have much of a flavor um, and it's hard to get myself to drink. So having a little bit of a drink mix helps stay hydrated um, and helps helps uh make it a little bit easier to down some water uh while I'm at a water source. So we call that process cameling up because that's what a camel would do at an oasis. Uh and then from there, um usually what I like to think about when I'm taking water is uh, you know, how can I make this water last as long as I can while still staying hydrated? So uh a lot of hikers don't do this, but I really think it helps is uh, I use a, a hose um, and a hydration pack. And part of the reason is that I think that if I am drinking constantly and it's not something that I have to stop and, and guzzle water for, um, just getting water, just a little bit of water when I need it helps me spread out the water that I do have a little bit better. So I end up feeling more hydrated because I get a little bit of water when I need it as opposed to having to drink you know, half my water because I'm so, so thirsty when I finally do stop.
1: Oh, yeah. And by the time we feel thirst, we've already sacrificed a lot of our energy level because of dehydration. So that's good, too.
0: Exactly. Another thing, it's a little bit hard to do uh, while you're hiking. A lot of us when we hike, we're kind of mouth breathers. But as much as you can get your mouth closed and and try to breathe while you're hiking through your nose, Um, that prevents a little bit of dry mouth, um, which is sometimes when you're hiking, you know, you might it's not so much thirst as your mouth has become dry. So kind of another tip, reduce Mm. the amount of water you need.
1: Right. So I've used a lot of different types of backpacking food, and I won't list all the brands, but they all have something in common. They're backpacking dehydrated food. (laughs) And so, you know, when when I'm going for an overnight or a weekend, it's okay. But by the end of the weekend, I'm thinking, wow, if I had to do this for weeks, I'm not sure I would enjoy it. What do you do for food?
0: Or food. Um, Well, so what I usually do, are we talking dinners or are we talking just throughout the day?
1: Yeah, give us your throughout the day plan.
0: Sure thing. So one of the things, even when I'm off trail, when I wake up, the first thing I don't want to do is eat. Um, But I'm usually pretty thirsty when I wake up. So the thing about thru-hiking is you wake up and you start hiking. There's no like, you know, at home I wake up up and I'll, you know, lounge in front of the computer and I'll check my email and then a couple hours later, I'll be hungry. On the trail, you get up and you have to start exercising and expending calories. So um, one of the tips that I I use to trick myself is I'll make kind of a morning, you know, it's not really a, I guess it's kind of a a smoothie, a, a breakfast powder mix. And that means that I'll just drink it and start going, but my stomach will have calories and I won't be going in a deficit. Um, so that's kind of what my morning things look like. Um, throughout the day, I eat, uh, bars. I, I eat a lot of pro bars. They have about 400 calories a piece. So I just need one of them. Um, so there's not a lot of like having to take breaks and two, um, also nuts, uh, cheese. And I'm, I'm not going to lie. I, I like to have a little bit of candy. It's not the healthiest thing in the world, but, uh, some Sometimes when it's, it's a little bit hard for me to eat, it, it turns out you never get tired of candy.
1: <laughs> okay. Well, what weight of food do you carry?
0: You know, it depends on the trip. I go, if it's a shorter trip, um, I'll, I'll aim more for 1.5 pounds of food a day. Um, with each item of food that I carry, I try to aim for around 120 calories per ounce and um you know some of the dehydrated vegetables i bring aren't quite around there but uh you know some of the the nuts that i carry are way above that so trying to balance around there um and uh if it's if it's for a longer trip my metabolism's a lot higher i'm doing a lot more miles uh i'll go up to three pounds of food a day so everywhere in between
1: so do you use quite a bit of dehydrated food and do you dehydrate your own food
0: Yeah. I use quite a bit of uh, dehydrated food for dinner. Um, I'm kind of a food motivated person. And so being able to say, okay, I know it's the afternoon, I'm really tired and I've got this huge mountain to climb before I can get to where I need to camp. Um, but tonight I get to have, uh, you know, like orange chicken or something that that's the sort of thing that motivates me. And, uh, I do, uh, I do freeze-dried meals at night, usually uh, dehydrated foods. Um, and the secret about a lot of those dehydrated foods, too, is even if you're going stoveless, uh, you can still eat them. You just let them soak in cold water uh, for, for an hour or so. So maybe an hour before I camp, if I'm stoveless, I will throw some water in with that packet, put it all in a gallon size zippy, throw it in the back part of my pack where it can spill all over the place, and then you know my dinner's ready. It's cold, but it's ready when I'm uh, ready to
1: camp. Hey, that's a good tip.
0: A lot of people think that just because they they you know it's hot and they're going stoves with or you know it's a high fire danger, so that they're not supposed to carry a stove, they can't have those meals. It turns out you still can.
1: Mm. that's that's a that's a really good tip. You know, something that I've tried recently is I pre-mix peanut butter and jelly or peanut butter and honey and I might even water it down just to make it a little bit thinner and then I'll put it in a squeeze tube so it kind of becomes an energy goo that I can have on the trail but it has the ingredients I want and I can determine the fat content and the amount of calories and all that sort of thing. Um, mm-hmm. Do you use those sorts of uh, you know energy goo supplements as you hike or, or what do you do?
0: I do. Uh, so so all of those goo like supplements um or they're they're kind of variation in the I mean there's I like the pro bar bolts, but uh essentially what those things are really great for is man, you've had a great day, you've had a great day, you're making great miles, oh wait, you're hitting walls. And it's a sort of thing where like maybe you should have eaten an hour ago and you forgot because you were having so much fun or um you forgot because you were really busy navigating that last section or You forgot to eat because you were chatting with a great buddy, and the conversation was awesome. Um, And then you're you're hitting a wall really hard. Uh, So all of those goos are really good for delivering energy quick and getting you back up on back up on the horse.
1: Mm, Interesting. You know, I interviewed uh, a fellow that was a real promoter of kind of a quasi paleo approach to diet, and he did a lot of active outdoor things especially biking and he had shifted his diet away from carbs so that he mm-hmm. was on, his metabolism was on a fat-based metabolism and he uh, said that his energy level was more even and that he didn't have to eat as often and so the kind of trail food that he would be shooting for would literally be, be things like olive oil and stuff like that um have you heard of people doing that successfully you know i
0: haven't heard of people doing it successfully on on like a long long through hike. But I have heard it working on some shorter, maybe more five-day sorts of trips. Um, and I actually have heard it working really well for, for uh, cyclists who are out for you know a five-day-like trip. One thing, I've read a little bit about this because I'm always on the market for, uh, for finding ways I can carry less food because food is such a big portion of, of the weight that I have to carry. Um, is that it, it's usually a little bit less effective for women than it is for men. And unfortunately, I can't really explain the science on that. But, um, you know, I think, I think a lot of hikers have had success in the amount of fat calories. In fact, uh, I have read, uh, nutritionists sort of like, here, here's what a through hiker should eat. And, uh, a normal athlete is maybe, uh, I'm trying to remember what the breakdown is, but I know that for, for long distance hikers, the, the fat breakdown should be thirty percent, which is which is higher than other athletes like marathoners or ultra marathoners would use.
1: Interesting. Well, I have found that if I do get a little bit more fat into my food, that my energy level is more constant. But on a through hike, I've not done it, so I, I wouldn't know.
0: Yeah, and then the thing about fat too is it has so many calories per ounce. So that's another quick way to reduce how many uh, how many how much weight you need to carry in order to uh, still meet your calorie requirements.
1: You know, there's a lot of new evidence out there as well that a lot of the cardiovascular problems that that we tend to suffer from in the United States may be more linked to carbohydrates than fats. And for the longest, it was all about the fats. But I think that, you know, the trans fats obviously have been a problem. But they're finding Mm -hmm. that carbohydrates might be creating some of the plaques in the arteries and things like that, that it's not really the fat that's doing that. Um, I'm not sure where to land on that one, but I tell you what, I know that I do feel better when I have a protein and fat-based diet instead of a high-carb diet myself.
0: Yeah, I feel the same way, too. I know a lot of hikers hike with tortillas, and, you know, I I can't do it.
1: I've tried, but that doesn't work for me, so... (laughs) It
0: doesn't work for me, either.
1: So we talked about weight, and do you have any tips or tricks on how to get the weight down? I mean, we talked about the pack, the sleeping bag, matching the season, your base weight of 10 pounds. That's remarkable. Um, do you often go stoveless to save the weight?
0: Um, Sometimes I go stoveless to save the weight. I think, I often think it's worth it, especially if it's going to be a little bit colder to carry the stove. And, um, you know, the thing is, my stove system weighs about five ounces, so that's my pot and my stove and everything. So... So It's not too much of a of a sacrifice, and it does open a lot more um doors for variety some of the foods that that um are dehydrated just um some of them don't work as well if you use the soap method so um a lot of people say, oh if you carry a stove, uh, a stove the meals over time are actually going to end up you're actually going to end up saving weight over time um because you don't need as heavy a food
1: hmm. I, I've heard
0: that theory. Um, but, uh, other things I do, you know, really making sure that my gear is appropriate for my conditions. Um, so, you know, if it's the heat of the summer, I'll definitely tear it down. Um, taking mini versions of, uh, the stuff that I need, you know, how often do I go out on the trail and I see someone is out for a a weekend trip with a 16, 16 ounce thing of sunscreen or, uh, you know, a 16 ounce bottle of bug spray, you know, tearing it down so that. The sort of portions that you have are appropriate for the length of your trip, um, are, are tend to be a, a really good way of cutting down some weight. And, um, you know, the thing about a through hike is, yeah, you're out for six months, but you're hitting town, you're resupplying every, you know, five days at most, so you can run out of stuff and replace
1: it. So you don't have to carry the kitchen sink. That's what you're saying, exactly. Mm, cool. Well, what happens if you have your lightweight sleeping bag and and your lightweight tent and then you find yourself in a freak storm and it's actually a lot colder than you anticipated? How do you uh, get through the night comfortably or do you?
0: Yeah, definitely. So um, one thing about if you know the weather is going to be bad, the number one thing you can do to make sure your night's going to be a lot more comfortable is to pick a really good camp spot, uh, one that's protected. So Obviously, you know, having an above tree line alpine, uh, camp is going to be beautiful, but it's also really exposed, especially if you've got some wind or you're high up and maybe it starts snowing. So, um, you know, camping lower, camping in the trees where there's some, some protection just from your natural environment, um, uh, is a great way to, to help increase the warmth of your campsite. And then, um, if I'm still cold after that, um, another great tip is, is, uh, you know, maybe in the middle of the night you're feeling kind of cold, eat something, grab a chocolate bar, uh, eat some nuts or some some almond butter um, because that's the fuel for your body that that helps keep you warm. Um, You know, there's always the the um, sit-ups that helps a lot. Uh, Another thing, too, is uh, if you're feeling cold and you kind of have to pee, go pee because that way your body isn't wasting all that energy warming up that pee that you're just going to get rid of from your body anyway.
1: Mm, Yeah. You know, something that I've done in winter camping that I found really, really comfortable, convenient, beneficial is uh, having a stove. I would heat up water and put it (laughs) in my water bottle and put that inside of my sleeping bag. And um, you know, that with mixed with your body heat, that water bottle will continue to provide heat for four, five, six hours depending on the conditions. And uh so I could I could get away with a lighter sleeping bag just by doing tricks like that.
0: Yeah, definitely.
1: If you're thinking about your future, think about Fort Lewis College in Durango, Colorado. Think a beautiful mountain campus where hiking, biking, kayaking, and snow riding are right outside your door. Think a friendly community buzzing with music, arts, events, and sports. Think faculty mentors, real research, and professional experiences that prepare you to both make a living and make a life. If you think college should be an adventure, think Fort Lewis College. See for yourself at fortlewis.edu. For 20 years, Bentgate Mountaineering has been outfitting climbers, skiers, backpackers, and outdoor enthusiasts with the gear they need. Whether climbing an 8,000-meter peak or buying your first backcountry ski setup, Bent Gate is here to help. Bentgate is continuing to offer free BC 101 sessions this winter, teaching backcountry ski boot and binding setup, avi safety and beacon practice, clothing systems, and tips and tricks to make your days more enjoyable. If you don't own the gear, Bentgate offers a full range of rental and demo equipment. Bentgate also has free demo ski days at local resorts to give you a chance for hands-on experience. Be sure to check bentgate.com for our full product selection as well as updates on all these events. Well, let's talk a little bit about hiking specifically. Uh, I I don't have the strongest of joints, and it's always been my challenge in backpacking. Um, how do you backpack in a method that protects your knees and your hips and your feet and, and allows you to keep going day after day? Do you have any tips for us there?
0: Yeah, definitely. Um, well, so one of the things that you that really help me helps me when I go out on a long hike is training just my feet. Uh, training my feet in the off-season. So, you know, mostly that means walking, um, but even short hikes help strengthen your ankles, which is kind of a weak point um, for many people. So going out on the trail with that level of fitness, uh, which is foot and ankle strength, is really helpful um, when you're just starting off. Other things for feet, um, when sometimes when I hit a, a, a river or a creek crossing or something, I'll take off my shoes and let them... Uh, You know, it's essentially like icing your feet. I'll soak them in the river for a while and um, that helps reduce some swelling and and makes it feel like you have a new pair of feet when you're done. Um, Other tricks I'll do, I got this from ultramarathoners, is putting on a fresh new clean pair of socks in the middle of the day. It makes a huge difference. You know, all those little microfibers in your socks get compacted from walking and walking and walking and getting mixed with your sweat and the dirt. Uh, so a new pair of socks, it feels like more cushioning, um, and you don't have those little grains of micro grains of sand in your socks, uh, which can lead to blisters. Um, you know, definitely stopping if you feel a hot spot, a blister coming on, um, and, and catching that early is, is another important thing making sure your feet are happy.
1: So I don't know if I'm really unique with this, but a lot of people recommend different types of wool blends to uh, wick away moisture and insulate, but wool makes me weak. It's the strangest thing. I can put on a pair of wool gloves and, you know, if maybe I'm climbing a 14 or my energy level just plummets. So I've learned huh. I can't wear wool. It might be that I'm combining the wool with other fabrics. It's causing this, but whatever it is, I don't do wool. So what type of fabrics do you recommend for people?
0: Oh, you know, I really like, I really like Merino wool. Um, and merino wool blends, uh, one of the benefits of the merino wool is that uh, for, this is kind of a through-hiker-specific, well, no, it's true for everyone, is that it doesn't hold the uh, hold the bacteria as well as some of the synthetics, and so if you're not going to be doing your laundry for weeks or months, as I know some people to do, not me, um, then the merino wool does not nearly as bad as, uh, as a synthetic does.
1: Interesting. You know, I've been looking for the right types of synthetics that I can wear. I'm just I'm just really sensitive to this and I it's a significant enough impact that I've decided not to. And so I break the rule. Cotton is rotten, right? <laughs> I wear cotton because I I still feel strong, but I know that if I get soaked in cotton, ah. then I'm going to be in trouble. But that's one of my personal that's challenges really with it.
0: I don't think I've heard of this wool is weak wool makes you weak thing before. I've heard of wool allergies uh with makes may make some people really itchy. But yeah, uh, it could be really an allergy
1: of sorts, I don't know. It's it's just something I noticed about myself cuz as I tried to introduce wool into my wardrobe when I was doing athletic stuff, I just realized, wow, that that really that really shot me down. So huh. Well, it's probably not that common, but for the listeners out there, you might want to try different types of fabrics to see if they're impacting your energy level. Uh, It seems strange, but it sure has proven true for me. So, Well, I like the idea of changing the socks in the middle of the day. Something I also have done is just take off the socks and let the boots and the socks air out for a while in the middle of the day. Anything you can do to get the moisture away from your feet probably helps.
0: I agree. Um, I'll, usually whenever I take a lunch break, I'll take off my shoes, take off my socks. Um, I'll actually take out the footbeds that are in my shoes and let those air out as well. And um, sometimes uh, on the PCT, uh, I had a lot of foot problems. So I actually carry two sets of uh, insoles, of footbeds, and I would switch those out in the middle of the day as well. And I've actually heard, I do this on my urban hikes as well. I carry an extra pair, a full out pull out extra pair of shoes.
1: Yeah, that adds some weight but.
0: It does add some weight, and that's one of the advantages of an urban hike is since I'm not carrying a tent, I can, I can get away with carrying an extra pair of shoes.
1: Well, you know, it's fun that you brought up urban hiking. Um, let's remember to come back to that because it's kind of a new thing you visited a little bit about on the last uh, podcast with us, but um, let's make sure that we come back to that. I want to stick for a minute, though, to talking about feet and blisters. What do you do to avoid them? Mm-hmm. What do you do if you get them?
0: You know, one thing I've said about blisters, uh, I I had a an interview with um, Outside Magazine about how do you avoid blisters, and I was like, well, you know, the first thing you need to know about blisters is, it, it's really specific to your personal body chemistry. And you know, I feel like I'm uh, like a like giving someone a facial for their feet or something, saying that, but. Um, <laughs> You know, I tend to have kind of a dry body chemistry, and as a result, how I deal with my blisters um, is very different than some of my friends who have much uh, moister or oilier skin. So, uh, you know, the benefit of of my dry skin is that, you know, sometimes it can get cracked and doesn't tend to get infected. And if you have kind of an oilier or moister skin type, um, you need to really be aware of making sure that you keep your blisters clean because I have seen some infected blisters where uh, people have had to go go to a doctor to get antibiotics, and the doctor's been like, If you had waited a week or so, we might have had to amputate your pinky toe. If oh. It gets that bad. So um, that's one of the reasons why I'm like, if you feel a blister coming on, you should deal with it now before it gets big, before it gets infected before you might lose a toe.
1: Wow. Yeah, that's crazy. So do you use moleskin or, or what do you use if you have to fight off a blister?
0: Well, so, um, you know, again, with the, with the, my feet tend to be on the drier side. Um, what I do is, um, you know, having, having clean socks or, uh, keeping my socks clean is kind of a first line of defense. Um, if I feel a blister coming on, um, I will uh, stop, you know, inspect it. And what I do is I'll take a, a clean safety pin. Um, I'll treat it with some, either some alcohol or I'll put a, a lighter to the tip of it and I'll pop it. And uh, then I'll let it air dry and cover it with Luco tape, um, which is kind of a special specialized sports tape. It's, it's almost a cross between duct tape and sports tape. It stays on like, you know, like, like a week later, you'll be in the shower, and you're like, "Oh, that's still on my foot." Um, wow. I also use it for gear
1: repair,
0: but uh, <laughs> it really stays on.
1: And you said Luco.
0: Luco. It's uh, it's like Swedish or something like that. It's L E U K O.
1: L E U K O. Luco tape. Okay. You can buy
0: it on Amazon. I've looked at a lot of uh, specialty sports stores and haven't been able to find it, but maybe maybe that'll change.
1: Well, that's a good tip. I've actually used duct tape, um, but duct tape can tend to soften and, and do ha- wreck havoc on your skin. But in a pinch, I've I've used duct tape. Um, sometimes I'll just use duct tape on the inside of the boot to eliminate the the hot spot a little bit because it can create a little bit of a slip layer on the inside of the boot too.
0: Yeah, definitely. And an old uh, Ray Jardine tip is you keep having rubbing and rubbing and rubbing in the same spot, and it's it's driving you nuts you know who who says you can't just cut a hole in your shoe that'll eliminate the running the rubbing
1: yeah you might get some of the moisture out that way too huh <laughs> <laughs> yeah <laughs> at least on a dry day so water yeah at
0: least on a dry day
1: Yeah, exactly so do you carry a water filter or do you carry a chemical treatment that you use with the water
0: right now I'm carrying a water filter and I've been really happy with the system um, I've used Various chemical treatments. Um, I actually hiked uh, all of the Triple Crown with chemicals. And um, uh, after I had hiked the Triple Crown trails and was hiking the Appalachian Trail again, I discovered uh, a new filter system that had just come out. The Sawyer, uh, at that time, it was a Sawyer Squeeze. But um, instead of using it as a squeeze filter, I keep it in line um, with my hydration hose. And kind of the end result is that I can put dirty water in a hydration uh, bladder, suck on my hose, and in the process of going from the bladder to my mouth, it goes through the filter and comes into my mouth clean.
1: Oh, that's nice.
0: Yeah. I mean, the system is so great because uh, you don't have to stop and wait. I hated the waiting with the chemicals. Um, there's no guesswork with how many drops do I need or how many capsules do I need. Um, and uh, you know, I also kind of like just knowing some of that dirt and dump is out of uh, what I'm drinking.
1: Yeah, sure. Why not? You don't. Who needs those extra minerals, right? <laughs>
0: exactly. You... another uh, nice thing about that system too. Is at night when I'm when I'm cooking um, and I don't want to wait for, I don't want to treat my water by boiling it. Um, I just hang up my hydration uh, bl- bladder from a tree, pop the bite valve off my hose and run it as a gravity filter right into my cook pot. And then, you know, I just have to get my water to hot enough that however hot I want my meal, and it's good to
1: go. Oh, that's that's a great idea. I like the multi-purpose approach to that, too. I have used the gravity flow um, filters that come with the, the, you know, the large sack that holds the water, and then it drips through. And I've had a real issue with those filters swelling, not getting clogged with dirt, but just the filter itself, Getting wet and then swelling and then the the filter rate drops so badly that it almost isn't usable. So, have you had any of those issues? Do you know how to avoid that?
0: Yeah, uh, you know the thing with those filters is um, that with any filter really is over time that that the flow is reduced. So, obviously um, with the the Sawyer um, Mini, which is what I use now, and also with the Sawyer Squeeze, it comes with uh, like a syringe, and so you can field clean it. And usually when I'm long distance hiking, um, I'll either carry the syringe or I'll mail it ahead um, so that I'll see the syringe, um, you know, every other town that I go through to resupply. And I'll just, you know, throw some clean water in it, backflush it. And uh, the nice thing is you don't have to buy cartridges or anything like that. I remember some of the old, older filters I had, you had to buy a new cartridge. It was like 30 bucks every, you know, couple months. Um, so this is like a, you know, you backflush it all the gunk that comes out, the back end, and it's good to go again.
1: Oh, that's great. Well, those are a lot of good ideas. So what have we missed? What What other tips and tricks do you have for us that make a, a through hike more enjoyable?
0: You know, I think a lot of it um, for, for a really long hike uh, um, is, is some of the prep that you do at home, both kind of mentally and physically and also planning wise. I think when you go into a trip with, um, with more info in your head and um, more prep uh, prep ideas. You know, your your fingers are used to tying the knots. You need to do uh, the more enjoyable your hike's going to be.
1: Cool. So we've talked about a lot of gear. We've talked about how to avoid injuries. We've talked about how to stay energetic. We've talked about so many things that kind of make this sound laborious and painful, right? But <laughs> we do it for a reason. Why do you through hike? What are the benefits?
0: You know, I, I think but there's there's just so many great things about thru hiking and it, you know it depends a lot on on which trail you're on um but uh the more you're out there you know usually my first day out there you know I'm like oh this is kind of fun this is pretty but after i've been out there for a week or two weeks that's when i feel like my lifestyle what i'm doing really kind of starts flowing with nature and I've stopped thinking about what's happening at the office or what I need to do. And, and I'm fully committed to being out there in nature on the trail. And I think that transition uh, of going from this, this human, this office worker, to someone who's um, one with nature is, is one of the most amazing transformations that can happen while you're through hiking. that You can't really get any other way.
1: You know, that sounds healing, actually. Very nice. Yeah. <laughs> yeah.
0: Really peaceful. And then um, the other thing that I really enjoy about through hiking too is watching the landscape change as you walk. So, you know, starting in the desert and then ending up in the high peaks and then ending up in the rainforest and realizing how our landscapes are stitched together, how, uh, you know, why LA is so different than Seattle, you know, the, or, you know, the ecosystems around it.
1: Yeah, I was visiting with a friend about that the other day, how, a lot of travel is done by air these days and you know you jump on an airplane you're in this tube and you're high up you really can't see that much and then they drop you off somewhere and wow you lose all context <laughs> right how do, how do you connect yeah. the dots when you've done that it seems that the slower you mode of transportation you choose the more you see and the more you connect with those transitions in ecosystems and in nature and find out how you know this continent or others are are stitched together
0: Completely. And, you know, it's not just natural things, too. It's also people. So, you know, the Appalachian Trail is probably the starkest example. But you start out in the south and people actually call the Appalachian Trail. And, uh, you know, you get kind of that southern culture um, when you go into town to resupply. And then you end up in Maine, which, you know, hard northeastern uh, northeaster or so. Just really seeing how, how we as uh, Americans also have a different culture that's very regionally based, too. Is cool to see.
1: You know, it is, especially these days, because so many of the big um, chain restaurants and department stores and convenience stores, I mean, it seems like everywhere you go these days, you see the same stores, you can have the same meals, you can have the same internal experience, but what you're finding is that the culture is still distinct.
0: Yeah, and even just um, the way to, where a lot of the trails are based are these small towns that might not have those big chain stores yet, so you really get a feel for what this region was like, is like, um, before the the big stores come in and make uh, everything in the U.S. kind of homogenous.
1: Cool. Well, what about new projects? What do you have on your calendar?
0: New projects? Well, so for this year, um, well, I just finished uh, about a week ago a traverse of the Wasatch Range in Utah, um, which I'm not sure if anyone had ever done it before, um, which is – Strange. It starts. It's, it's kind of near a really populated area, but um, it's a really rugged mountain range. And I think maybe because it's so close to a populated area, people um, treat it more as a as a as you know a place to go after work, as opposed to a range that connects a, f- a full mountain range.
1: Oh, that's cool. So you're creating your yeah. own through hikes now. Exactly. You know, here's Looking one maps, for you. Um, we yeah. recently interviewed uh, Janae Duwad. I apologize if I mispronounced his name, but episode 61, he did a through hike of all the Colorado 14ers. So he picked out a route that he could walk where he would summit all the 14ers in a single trip. I thought that was kind of cool.
0: Yeah, that's a really cool trip. And if you, uh, you know, Janae occasionally we're trying to get him to do more, more talks because his presentation on that is phenomenal. Just amazing photos. And he's a really humble guy. and, and, uh, you really have to start asking him questions to to, to really get down to uh, how hard what he did was.
1: Oh, I know it's got to be killer. Having climbed several of the fourteeners myself, I mean it's it's brutal. It it's not just the effort to get to the top; it's the pounding you get on your way back down again. It's it's got to be tough.
0: And the routes he took, a lot of them were non-standard. Um, you know the kind of he took he took the hard way up, and then he kept taking the hard way up over and over again. And yeah, that that trip is just amazing.
1: Yeah, he did a great job on the show. We really enjoyed having him on. So, listeners, that's episode sixty-one. If you want to know the details on that, um, what about this urban through hiking that you've started doing? Tell us about that.
0: Yeah, so um, the urban through hikes, uh, you know, it's kind of an interesting idea because people have been walking in cities since – from as long as cities have existed. But the idea of being within the same city, walking all day, and then sleeping in a different spot than where you started, it's a little bit different. And um, one of one of the ideas behind this uh, urban thru-hike is that you can enjoy a city much in the same way that you would nature. It's still about exploration. It's still about seeing new things. Um, it's still still to a great extent about There's there's some physical challenges involved, Um, but some of the benefits are that, uh, you know, if something were to happen, it's pretty easy to to bail out. Um, If uh, you need to take a phone call for work or something, you know, you you can still get reception. You can still deal with your email if you need to, and um, obviously you don't have to carry a tent or as much food or water. Uh, You know, resupplying is every store
1: corner. Interesting. The 180 Flame is the ideal alternative to bulky and fragile gas-burning camp stoves. The 180 Flame utilizes fewer parts with minimal weight and maximized reliability. The locking tab and slot design means there are no hinges, welds, or rivets to fail you in the field. Cook your food and boil water quickly using only small amounts of natural fuels including twigs, grass, pine cones, and leaves. Weighing just 6.4 ounces, the 180 Flame is the ideal alternative to a backpacking stove. You can find your new Flame at 180tech.com or a retailer near you. 180 Flame. Think big, pack small. It's Tim Emmett. I'm a professional climber and wingsuit pilot. I really enjoy public speaking, and I've spoken at schools, events, and businesses all over the world. I believe that you can change the way you feel by changing what you think about and using lessons learned from a world in extreme sports. If you're looking for someone lively to brighten up your event, and maybe expand your concept of possibility, send me an email to tim at timemmett.com. That's T-I-M at T-I-M-E-M-M-E-T-T dot C-O-M. Thanks a lot. So I, you know, I'm just a nature freak. I love to connect with nature, and I enjoy walking through cities too, but the dynamic has to be very, very different. What are the benefits of through hiking a city um, as far as the experience in contrast to connecting with nature? You mentioned earlier after a couple of weeks on the trail, you fall into that natural rhythm and, and how mm-hmm. neat that is. Can you have that effect in the city too? You
0: know, you, you do have a, have a rhythm, but it's kind of a, a different rhythm. Yeah. Um, it's kind of understanding how neighborhoods are connected. So, in the same way that you would understand, start to understand how landscapes and uh, are connected on a natural hike. Um, when I did the LA urban through hike, I finally got to understand how these neighborhoods that seemed so different and were split in the middle by a highway were connected somehow, and how how strongly they must have been connected before the highways were put in. And I think that's that's really. You know, both both forms of walking um, are about about understanding your surroundings and appreciating your surroundings, and I think you get that either way.
1: Hmm, that's neat. So, kind of the, wrapping it up here, but there's a question I just glossed right over. What do you do? to get physically fit enough to take off on a through hike? I know some people think, well, I'll just, I'll get stronger as I go, but man, you can run into injuries and then, you know, I can really shut you down. So how, how do you prepare? What is your fitness routine?
0: You know, I, I always tell people that the best way to prepare for a through hike is to hike, um, to go on day hikes, to walk around your neighborhood. Um, because a lot of the injuries that people get are related to their feet and to their ankles. And, you have a normal office job you're you're sitting at your desk all day, and so your feet aren't physically used to even just standing or having the weight on them all day, so I think that that's pretty pretty beneficial
1: so it's just a matter of putting the time in the sneakers or the boots,
0: yeah, or you know even if you have a standing desk uh, I think just getting getting uh getting your weight on your feet helps them realize, oh okay, this is what' it's going to be about
1: so not my last question, but almost my last question. You found a way to take um, big chunks of time off to be able to do these through hikes. That's a lifestyle that you've built. Do you have recommendations for our listeners? If they want to incorporate more time off, more through hiking time, um, how do they manage the career and that sort of thing?
0: Ooh, well, uh, you know, I have a, one of my really good friends uh, through hiked the Appalachian Trail when he was 18 after he... He worked hard so he could graduate high school early and uh, hiked the Appalachian Trail and then went to college, got a a good job, but had still managed to to get in a a 300-mile trip in every summer. And he makes it a priority uh, to to take the time off and put it towards that trip. And, you know, one thing that he found really worked for him is that when he was switching jobs, um, negotiating to make sure that he would be able to get that that time um, to, to go every year to go take a trip. Um, And, you know, he was lucky because, you know, a competitor was trying to steal him away from, uh, you know, his current place of employment. And he said, okay, I'll come work for you guys, but you have to give me enough time so that I can uh, time off each summer so that I can go take this trip. And that's (laughs) worked out really, really well for him.
1: (laughs) Oh, that's great. You know, I visited with with uh, Jerry Roach and asked him that question how did he get all of his climbing in over the years and he uh, he says well sabbaticals and time off and then trying to get breaks between positions and and uh, <laughs> he had a lot of a lot of great ways that he that he did it one of the things that he found really good is he became an independent consultant so that he could kind of name yeah. his schedule and how long he was going to be in which you know, which assignment. So maybe that helps too. I know there are a lot of people in our world today who would like to do more to live the life that they think they'll love, and that requires some flexibility. So I think it's a challenge, but people that figure it out, I I applaud you. That's wonderful.
0: Thank you. Yeah, it's not always easy. And you know, the thing about these long trails too, even something as long as the Appalachian Trail or the Pacific Crest Trail People who have normal jobs, families, houses, can hike all of it. It's just um, a lot of people will hike the whole Appalachian Trail over 20 years, and they'll go out and do a week every year. And, you know, I think that's got to be so cool to see how a trail changes over time, how gear changes over time, how people change over time hiking the trail. That gives you kind of a unique perspective that that I'm a little jealous of.
1: Well, cool. So you're headed to a uh, long-distance hiking event right now. What is that about?
0: I'm headed to the American Long-Distance Hiking Association West Gathering. Um, so this is the organization, All the West, that gives out the Triple Crown Award after a hiker completes the Appalachian Trail, the Continental Divide Trail, and the Pacific Crest Trail. Um, and it's it's a huge honor to get your Triple Crown. Um, I got mine uh in 2011 and uh at the time i think there were something like 25 women who who 20 or 25 women who had completed it it's um you know the people who hiked the triple crown there's more people who've been in space than have hiked all three trails wow. um on one day i can't remember the day it was like may 17th uh like 2000 something uh there were more people who summited mount everest in one day than have hiked all three of these trails
1: Wow, well, that's fascinating
0: so you know it's really it when these, this award ceremony feels a little bit like um going to someone's high school graduation or something people will have, bring in their families um you know like their their grandpa will read a poem about about the adventure you know it's really you know a very emotional very community based thing um and the award ceremony is just one of the many things that happen to this event um We also have really world class hiker speakers come in um you know, the sort of stories you're not going to hear anyone, anywhere else. Uh, trauma and Pepper, uh, Justin Lichter and Sean Flory, who were the first people to, uh, first and probably the only people who will ever through hike the Pacific Crest Trail in the winter, um, are, are kind of our keynote speakers. And, uh, you know, their their adventure was called by, by the New York Times the, uh, the greatest uh, exploration that's happened since Lewis and Clark. So mm. to be able to have... Those sorts of speakers um, in a in a pretty intimate setting is is uh, you know it's it's the who's who of long distance hiking. It's it's a really great event.
1: I would like to just kind of highlight here. The listeners probably picked up on it, but there's a real through hikers community. Um, you know, a lot of the people who are also through hikers and who love the sport, and it seems like there's a just a, a group of people that have found that that advantage of community as well.
0: Yeah, I mean. I was I just went to, to breakfast this morning with one of my hiker friends and, um, you know, there, there's really a connection. Even if you didn't hike the same trail the same year, once you walk one of these trails, the people that you meet really get what you do and they get you and what you value. And um, that, that connection is, is strong and real. And, um, you know, the U.S. Has, has probably the best long-distance hiking community of anywhere in the world.
1: Wow. So what about hiking in Europe and places like that? Is that on your radar?
0: Yeah, definitely. There there's some trips um out there. Europe has a really great long distance network. And um kind of you know, it's more set up to be hut to hut than in the US. So you don't quite have that sort of camping wilderness experience necessarily. But I mean the the lengths uh that you can hike out there uh are, are just incredible and all the different countries you can see. Not to mention the food. Oh, yeah.
1: <laughs> well, you know, you kind of just left us with a teaser there. I can imagine we could spend another five podcasts talking about through hiking in different countries throughout the planet and the beauty of the adventure travel associated with that. It, wow, there's just gotta be a lot there. So listeners, tune in. We're gonna get to that eventually.
0: Yeah, that that sounds great. Hopefully
1: I'll have done some of those by then. Right on. <laughs> so Liz Do you have a funny story for us to kind of close out our discussion on through hiking today, something that illustrates some of the fun side of of through hiking?
0: Yeah, definitely. Um, So uh, I think I might have mentioned this on the last podcast. Uh, I pioneered a route with two of my good friends uh, last summer. Um, It's a double horseshoe of the Columbia River Gorge. It's called the Chinook Trail. And, uh, there's a section that's right along that you walk on the old Oregon Trail route, um, for about 30 miles, um, in the Oregon Desert. And it was a hot day. We we're really thirsty. Um, the sort of thing that, that you'd have like the old ranchers who live in that area would keep driving past you saying, sure you don't want to ride? <laughs> and you're like, well, no, no, I want, I want to walk this old Oregon Trail. Uh, and, uh, you know, my friends, my friend, uh, was ahead of me and uh it was just so so hot he he just was like you know what this, this is a guy named tomato he's he's pretty fast and he was like you know what i'll just see you guys all at camp because uh you know it, it's so hot and uh i don't want to stick at your pace so after walking through this heat for a long time i see two trees and, and it doesn't you know it's lunchtime i'm gonna go hang out under those trees and, and have a break and uh who do I see underneath those trees with tomatoes taking a nap 'cause that's the that's the only shade, and you know it's just really it was really funny because uh you know hikers think alike, and uh you know just because you've got a speed or or uh um an agenda or you want to finish by a certain time it doesn't matter you see you see something and uh you're gonna take a break
1: <laughs> that almost sounds like the tortoise and the hare story.
0: Yeah, exactly. Um, back to what I was saying earlier is that hikers have the same values. And one of those
1: is shade. <laughs> shade is a good thing. I get it. You know, it is interesting. Um, over time, you kind of get used to other people's habits. And and I I'd love to explore Colorado. And I remember as a young man, I would often end up finding my friends in the wilderness somewhere. Um, even though we never planned to meet, just because you end up kind of thinking alike like that. Exactly. <laughs> oh, that's funny. So did you like tie his boot straps together and sneak on past or did you stop and wake him up?
0: No, we stopped him and, and woke <laughs> him up. But I should have done I should have done what you said. That would have been pretty oh, fun. That's
1: great. <laughs> well, by the way, Liz, your trail name is Snorkel. So if people hear correct. of Snorkel, that's that's who you are. And uh thank you very much for your time today. I really appreciate all the tips and ideas. Um the different methods you use to stay healthy and to to do these through hikes. And I'm definitely going to try some more of these. And listeners, you might want to press rewind and take notes because, wow, what a lot of great information Liz shared with us today. So, Liz, thank you very much for being on the show.
0: Thank you, Kurt, for uh, having you me bet. on.
1: And until our next show, everyone get out there and have some fun.